0: Well welcome to all of you joining us online, Uh, welcome to all of you who are worshiping at our Airdrie campus location and uh, you know any of you in the room or any of you watching online that live around Airdrie, Crossfield, you know that area. You know, it would be great if you joined Travis and the team there at our Airdrie campus location. Welcome to those of you at Bearspaw location as well. And, and and again, any of you that live in Cochrane or Northwest Calgary, Bearspaw area, you know, join Mike and the team there at our Bearspaw campus. Um, our South campus as well, if you live in let's just say, south of Anderson, you know, or uh, Okotoks, or Prittis, or anywhere down there. Boy, join us at our south campus location as well. Welcome to all of you in the room. Now, I want to tell you a story, a story of a man who all of a sudden was not feeling well, felt seriously ill. So he thought, I've got to check this out, I've got to figure out what's going on. And So he went to the hospital, was admitted in the hospital, doctors performed a series of tests on him, and they found a a diagnosis. They got a diagnosis, and he was not well at all. The doctor said to the man, you know what, you are so critically ill, I would love to talk with your wife first before, you know, we talk with you. So the doctor sat his wife down and said to his wife, I've got good news and bad news good news is your husband will recover from this illness. The bad news is it will take a lot of work from you. In fact, you will have to be his caregiver 24-7. He's going to have to be put on a very strict diet. You're going to have to be preparing certain kinds of foods for him, feeding him at certain times, and making sure he sticks to this and doesn't eat anything else he shouldn't be eating. This is what you're going to have to do. Um, he's going to have a series of medication that he's going to have to take, and you're going to have to wake him up at night and, and, you know, give him his medication that way. You're going to have to have your house spotless, sanitized, perfectly clean. If you do this in about a year, he will recover from this illness. So the doctor left. Wife went into the room, and her husband said, so what did the doctor say? Like, what, what, what's the prognosis here? And the wife looked at her husband and said, the doctors have got some very difficult news for us. You are going to die. You're going to die. Some of you saw that coming, didn't you? You saw that coming. Now, this is a cheesy story, but it brings us to this point that how many of us have really said, I don't want to do that. I didn't sign up for that. This is not what I want to do. Someone else can do that. I'm not doing that. Might be, you know, a conflict situation that you have with someone. And you know that someone has to take the first step. But you're thinking, I'm not doing that, right? I'm not doing that. Some, they have to do that. I'm not doing that. And you know what, sometimes we have this attitude in how we say this. Maybe it doesn't come out of our mouth this way or the tone of our words this way, but we sure do feel it inside. I'm not doing that. Not in a million years am I going to do that. This is the way that we are sometimes, right? Absolutely. I'm not doing that. The way this shows up in our household, sometimes we'll say to one of our kids, hey, can you, can you come and help with the dishes, the dishwasher, empty the dishwasher, and they'll say, but so, so I, I offloaded the dishes last time and so-and-so was watching TV and they didn't do anything and they didn't help out this time. I'm not doing that. Right here. This is the way that we are at times. We're returning to our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says this, and our focus today is going to be on gentleness, also translated meekness, meekness. Here's what Galatians 5 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, also translated meekness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. When many of us think of being meek or gentle, I'm not sure that's the thing that we're all saying. I want to be gentle. That's what I want to be. I want to be meek. That's what I want to be. I want to do that. I think it's because we don't have a clear understanding, a biblical understanding, actually, of what meekness is all about. In our common culture, right, we would associate being meek as soft-spoken people, very soft-spoken, mild-mannered, mild-tempered, shy perhaps, maybe people that are standing in the corner wringing their hands, and anxious people. We might think of them as tender people, perhaps even as weak people. It's unfortunate that meek and weak rhyme (laughs) because we think well they're the same they're not the same they're not closely even the same they're not synonymous at all we wouldn't associate a meek person as being strong or brave or confident or forceful or bold or courageous we'd be dead wrong we would be dead wrong because we'll see as we look at jesus in just a few moments a person can be both meek and brave. A humble person can be courageous. A gentle person can be incredibly strong. The Greek word translated here in Galatians 5 as gentleness or meekness is the word praus. And it pretty much shows up the same word everywhere in Scripture. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he says in Matthew 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek. Same word the meek for they will inherit the earth. We don't have time to get into this, but I don't think timid, shy people are the ones who will inherit the earth. These are forceful, courageous, brave people. This is the same word that Jesus uses in his most famous of invitations. Matthew 11:28. Jesus says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, learn from me, for I am gentle, I'm meek, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says here, I am meek, <clears throat> I am prouss gentleness, meekness was in his very nature. It wasn't only how Jesus displayed himself or acted on occasion. It is who he was. It was his very identity. Jesus is meek. It's in his very nature. But we don't typically think of Jesus, you know, as a meek, timid, shy, mild mannered person. I mean, he was at times, but he was also brave and courageous and bold and poised and tender and calm at the same time. So here's where we're going. In the time that we have left, I want us to answer two questions. Two questions. What is meekness? Like, what is it? How do we understand what this word means? And we're going to get a very vivid picture, a very clear understanding of what it means for us, To be meek. That's the first question. What is meekness? Second, how do we grow then in becoming people who are meek? How do we grow up to have evidence of this fruit of the Spirit in our lives, the Spirit really acting in us and through us to be people who are characterized, whose very identity even is meek? That's what we're going to do. So if you haven't already done so, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. If you're able to stand, I would love for you to stand as we read God's Word. And we stand as we read God's Word out of respect, out of honor for His Word, recognizing that His Word is authoritative for us. So listen carefully as I read John 13, 1 to 15. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, meaning he loved them to the very end of his life. He loved them unto death. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon replied, do not just, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Jesus replied, those who've had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Heavenly Father, we open up our hearts to you, open up our lives to you. And we want to be receptive. We want to receive what you have to say to us through your word, your living word, here today. Amen. Please have a seat. Here's what's... Here's what's happening in John chapter 13. It's a Thursday night, it's a Thursday evening, and it's the evening of the Passover meal. Thursday night was when Jesus made his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Thursday night was when Judas betrayed Jesus. Thursday night is when Peter denied knowing Jesus. Thursday night is when Jesus was arrested. He was handed over to the high priest, he was then handed over to Pilate. Friday was the day then that Jesus had his trial. Friday was the day that Jesus was tortured. He was beaten. He was crucified. Friday, Jesus died. Friday, before the Sabbath began, Jesus was laid in a tomb. But this that we just read here happens Thursday night. But we know what's ahead of Jesus right over the coming hours. Thursday night, Jesus is with his 12 apostles, 12 disciples, his closest friends in this upper room. Jesus knows the time has come for him to leave this earth, return back to his father. You can imagine the emotions that are going through him about him leaving his friends, leaving this earth, leaving his mom all of that. He's ready. Jesus is ready to tell his disciples some things on this night. He wants to teach them some things. He wants to give them some final words. He wants to pray for them, pray over them. He also wants to give them an example, an imitatable example of a meal, right? This communion meal that we just experienced together. That began on Thursday night, this meal that his disciples taught their disciples, and they taught their disciples, and so on. Jesus had some things that he wanted to accomplish with his disciples. Verse 2 that we just read. Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. Jesus knows what Peter's going to do. The Gospel of Luke tells us that on this night and around this meal, an argument broke out, a discussion really broke out between the disciples as well about who was going to be the greatest, who is the greatest among them. Can you imagine this? They're with Jesus and they're saying, I'm better than you are. No, I'm better than you are. That's what was going on here. They're arguing about who's the greatest. James and John probably are still vying for this position. One to sit at Jesus' left hand, one to sit at Jesus' right hand, you might remember. Their mom came and said, Jesus, my kids are great. (laughs) Maybe they're still saying, I'm the greatest. Perhaps Peter thinks and says, okay, I'm the greatest. I got out of the boat, you all were chickens sitting in the boat, I got out, I walked on water, I'm the greatest. Someone probably would have piped up and said, but you sank. (laughs) You sank, Peter. You were drowning. Jesus had to rescue you. You're not the greatest. Perhaps then even John said, fellas, we all know Jesus loves me the most. I'm the greatest. I mean, this is what's going on. They're arguing among themselves who is the greatest. Who's the greatest? Jesus sees all of this going on in the room. What does he see? I mean, really, what does he see taking place around him? I'll tell you what he doesn't see. He doesn't see meekness. He doesn't at all. He doesn't see humility. He doesn't at all. Jesus looks around the room and he sees proud hearts, proud hearts, and he sees dirty feet. Proud hearts and dirty feet. Proud hearts. He sees ego. He sees his disciples talking with self-righteous, self-serving attitudes. He sees positioning for power and recognition and praise and and prestige. He sees sees them arguing, propping themselves up, wanting to argue, wanting to make a case that they are the greatest. And Jesus sees that. He looks and he sees proud hearts. He sees dirty feet. Verse 4 begins, so he got up. He got up. He said, I can do something about this. I can do something about this. This isn't the way I want my disciples to be. This isn't the way that my followers will live their lives, posturing and positioning with pride. I can do something about this. He says, I want to show them a different way. I can do something. So he got up. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, after he poured water into a basin. And the disciples are watching Jesus do all of this. And probably they clue in and they think, oh no, he's not gonna do that. He's not gonna wash our feet. Really, he's gonna wash our feet? No one, no one planned for our feet to be washed. He can't do that. He's going to wash our feet? He began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And what Jesus does in this text here reveals a vivid, picture-perfect, a vivid example of what it looks like to be meek. This is what meekness looks like right here in the text. This is what meekness looks like. See, the word meek originate and comes from a word that describes a powerful animal of immense strength, but that's tame and submissive to its owner, to its master. Meekness is strength under control. It's the idea of not having not having to display your strength or your ability or your intellect or whatever it is that you want to display to prove that you are important, but instead to serve others. Meekness is having enormous power, but voluntarily, voluntarily choosing to submit to serving the needs of others. That's what meekness is. Thursday night, Who had strength in that room? All of them did. All of the disciples had strength. Who had ability? All of them did. Who had intellect? All of them did. Who had influence? All of them did and they were all arguing who was the greatest among them. But the greatest, the greatest was in the room. The greatest among them was right there in the room. Imagine this, the greatest was in the room. The Son of God came from God, returning back to God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the resurrection and the life, the bread of life, the light of the world, living water, the Word of God, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God that was slain, that takes away the sin of the world. The greatest was in the room. And he says, I can do something about this. The greatest puts all that he is low, voluntarily submitting. And he gets up, stands up, and then he gets low. And he washes his disciples' feet. Jesus displays meekness so incredibly here by carrying out this tender and gentle, And courageous act of serving act of serving this is what meekness is this is the definition of meekness so how do we grow then I mean how in the world do we grow and becoming people that are characterized by meek by being meek how do we do that two ways I want to share with you the first is We grow in meekness by discovering and believing our true identity. Our true identity. Because, you see, we struggle a lot with false identities. We struggle with, who are we? And I feel like we we get this sometimes in our life, and as we go through life, this is the question that we'll constantly have to come back to. Who are we? Who am I? How do we stay hold, secure, grounded in our true identity? We drift into fake identities. One of the fake identities that you might have drifted into is believing that I am what I do. I am what I do. This is your struggle You try and do good things. You would try and accomplish good things. Perform well. Perform good. Success is what you want. Success is what you're trying to achieve to be successful. Therefore, I'm good. I am what I do. I want to do good, so I am good. That's the way you might think that we might think. When we're doing well, when we're doing good things, when we're achieving things, we feel good about ourselves. But then what happens? We fail at something. We fail at anything. Fail an exam, fail in life, fail at work, fail in family, we fail. And then we think, I am what I do, I've failed, I must be a failure. You see, we drift into thinking this way. This is not who we are. We are not what we do. We might fail and then we get depressed and we get sad and then we get devastated and our world falls apart Think of this. If you believe that you are what you do, how do you handle criticism when someone criticizes what you do? Boy, that gets us defensive, doesn't it? It does. We get defensive. We want to blame others. We want to offer excuses. We want to argue. No, I am good. I am what I do. I'm doing good. It's not bad. I'm good. We drift into this fake, false identity. Another false identity we might drift into is I am who others do. I am what others say about me. I am what others say about me. When people speak well about you, they praise you, they give you compliments, they give you recognition, and we feel good about ourselves, yes. Other pe- people are speaking well about me. But someone says something behind your back, uh-oh. Someone says something negative about you. Oh boy, now what? then we might think, well, I am what others say about me, so I must be that. That's not who you are. Not at all who you are. We begin in feeling inferior to others, then. Because of what others say about us, we begin feeling inferior, and so we act superior, right? We act superior in order to compensate for our insecurities, we put others down in order to prop ourselves up. We maybe gossip in order to bolster our reputation because we want people to speak well about us. Because I am what other people say about me. This is a lie. We are not what others say about us. One another area that we drift into as a fake, false identity is, I am what I have. I am what I have. Maybe this is your struggle. I mean, fill in the blank. What do you have? I have a family, I have parents, I have health, I have good education, I have a job, I have savings, I have um, influence, I have security, I have whatever it is, fill in the blank, I have. I am what I have. Reminds me of a friend of mine in university. This was his struggle. And uh, because his identity was, was grounded in what he had, he had a lot of nice Things. A lot of nice things. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. But for him, he needed nice things because of the way that it made him feel about himself and look to others. Because he was what he had. So one day, he went to a store and bought the most. Inexpensive, most plain running shoes with Velcro straps and all that he could find, and he wore those. Now, these were still nice shoes, good shoes, right? Good shoes. But for him, they were a visible reminder I am not what I have. It's not who I am. Here's the thing if we are what we have, what happens when we lose? Our job when we lose our health when we lose our savings when we lose our family when we lose our friends what happens who are we then because we will all lose it one day see a lot of our energy goes into these things I am what I do I am what others say about me I am what I have but this is all wrong these are all false fake identities Here is our truest identity in 1 John 3, verse 1. 1 John 3, verse 1. Read this with me, will you? Read this with me. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That is what we are. You are loved. You are a son, a daughter of God, and you are defined... By what he has done for you. Not what you've done, but what he has done for you. You are defined by who he says that you are. You're defined by how he has provided and given you provision for what you have. Not because you've got it, but because he gave it to you. You are defined. We are defined by him. And here's my point in all this. Here's my point. It's impossible for you and I it's impossible for you to be meek when your identity is defined by what you do because if it is you will always want to be the greatest in the room you'll always be wanting to be great and do well because that's who you are and if you don't do well well you're not it's not your identity it's impossible for us to be meek if for identity is found in what we do because we will always want to be the greatest then. It's impossible for us to be meek, for you to be meek if your identity is tied to what people say about you because you will always be listening to other people all the time. You won't be listening to God and what he says. It's impossible to be meek when your identity is defined by what you have, because if it is, you will always be holding on to what you have and you will never lay it down. You'll never give it away. You'll never serve others because then you have less than. You'll always be wanting to hold on to what you have. It's impossible for us to be meek unless we are secure in our true identity. And it's only then that we'll be free from every other identity, every other false identity, and we'll be able to live as people who can lay down our power and our might and our strength to serve others. We won't be driven by what people say about us. We'll serve. We'll do anything. We'll do the things that no one wants to do. We won't care what other people think about us. It won't affect our identity See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. You are defined. Your identity is found in in what God has done for you, specifically in the person of Jesus Christ. All that he's done for you. Your identity is found. Your identity is found in who God says that you are. Your identity is found in what he has provided for you, how he cares for you, not what you have. There's one other way that we grow in becoming meek. The second way is by serving others. Serving others. Just serve. Plain and simple. This is real simple. Serve. Wherever you see a need, serve. Jesus looked around the room. He saw proud hearts and dirty feet. Proud hearts, dirty feet. And he says, I can do this. I can wash feet. He got up, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured some water, and began washing his disciples' feet. He washed dirty feet. He washed feet. Now, why did Jesus wash feet? What was going on here with this practice? In Hebrew culture, washing feet was just a common, ordinary courtesy, commonplace courtesy. It'd be like if you were coming over to my house, um, if you were wearing a jacket or a coat, I'd say, hey, can I take your coat, please? I'd hang it up for you. And then I'd say, can I give you something to drink? common courtesy in hebrew culture you would go to someone's house they'd greet you with a kiss they'd say can i have your feet washed they say can i have your feet washed you see the host would never ever ever wash stinky dirty feet just wouldn't do that in fact to show how important they were they would always have someone else wash feet Too important for that job. I'm not doing that. There's no way I'd do that. Not in a million years. host would never wash feet, never wash feet. It was a sign of wealth and prestige that they'd have someone else, they'd have servants or slaves washing feet. host would never do that. But here, Jesus gets up, towel around his waist, gets low, washes feet. He stoops down to take the job, that no one else wanted to do, no one else would think of doing, no one else would dream of doing. I can't, I don't want to do that. I'm not doing that. He stoops low and serves. As we're talking about this, is there something that's come to your mind that you're not doing? It's come to your mind and you think, you know what, no, I should do that. I should serve. I should serve Do you see a need around you that no one else is taking on? Something that maybe you've walked by, you've passed by, you've encountered, and you think, someone else can do that. I'm not doing that. Someone else should do that. I'm not doing that. (laughs) Is there a need around you that's come up? See, serving isn't easy. It's not always fun. But it's what we're called to. It's the right thing. It's the necessary thing. In fact, it's the way to grow in becoming meek is through serving. Because really, serving, in the end, isn't about us anyway. It's not about us. It's the people that we're serving. It's the other that we're serving. It's the needs around us. It's blessing others, being generous to others. That's what serving is all about. It's serving God ultimately. Because how amazing have we been served by God? It's not about us at all. Here's the thing. If you're serving anywhere, somewhere, don't take a picture of yourself and post it on social media. (laughs) Just don't do that. You heard that in church. Don't do that. It's not about you. It's not about you. And sorry if that hurts your feelings. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. I don't know how Jesus felt. I thought about this. I don't know how Jesus felt when he was washing his disciples' feet. I mean, imagine that. I don't know how he felt. He he probably went and washed John's feet. James, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew. And then, and then, and then he gets to Judas. He gets to Judas. And he's stooped low. He's got Judas' feet in his hands and he's washing. He washes the feet of his betrayer. How did that feel? He washes the feet of the guy that sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. This is the guy that goes up to Jesus and identifies him with a kiss, and the Roman guards come and arrest Jesus. He washes his feet. He washes the feet of his enemy. His friend, who was his enemy? He washes his feet. I mean, how did that feel? Which is why Jesus gives us here the perfect image of laying down your rights, your power, your prestige, your position, and serving, becoming low. Strength controlled, strength laid down for serving others. And then Jesus would have got to Peter washing Peter's feet. I mean, Peter was going to deny that he even knew Jesus three times that evening, a different kind of betrayal, but still hurts. Still hurts. Washes his feet. The way to grow in meekness, plain and simple, is to serve. To serve. To serve others. When you see a need around you, anywhere, anywhere, in your home, in your neighborhood, at work, as you're driving in the grocery store. I mean, anywhere you go, you see a need, serve. Ask God, say, God, is this an assignment that you have for me right now? You encounter a person who's struggling in some way. God, is this an assignment? Do you want me to help this person? Do you want me to serve this person for a moment or for a long time? God, do you want me to do this? And if you sense any little nudge that yes, do it. Do it right away. Act immediately, because if you're like me, you'll tend to, really, should I do this? Do I have time for this? Is this really what I should be doing? I don't really want to do this. Do I have to do this? I know that goes on in your head, too. (laughs) I know it does. Do it right away. If you feel God moving you, because this is what we do. We serve. We are servants. Serving is not... Only what we do, it's who we are. We are servants. That's who we are. We're servants. You might see a need, feel like it's beneath you. Chances are, here's the thing. If you see a need, chances, and you feel like, I don't really want to do that. Chances are it's the very thing that God is inviting you to step into to do. That's a pretty good chance because maybe God wants to do something in us as we serve. Maybe he wants to just make us more meek and humble See, when you serve with the right heart, it changes you, it changes me, it changes us, it changes us. When we serve with the right heart, we become humble. When we serve with the right heart, we become people that are meek, that exemplify Christ. We become people that are like Jesus when we serve. Serving is not something Christians only do. It's who Christians are. We are servants. Serving is not just what we do. We are servants. We serve. It's who we are. Serve your spouse. Serve in your home. Serve at school. Serve in your university. Serve wherever you are. Pray that God would open up your eyes. I pray that God would open up the eyes of our church that we would see ways that we can serve. We can humbly serve others. Serve your kids. Kids, serve your parents. Serve in your workplace. Serve. Just serve. Just step out and serve. Serve for a moment. Serve for a long time. Serve a stranger. Just serve. Serving is not just what we do. Serving servants is who we are. Serving is who we are. It's core to our identity as followers of Jesus Christ. Serve, serve, serve. Parents, I want to talk to you just for a moment without any guilt here at all, one of the best gifts that you could do, best gifts that you could do, is phone at one of our campus locations, wherever you attend, participate, Um, wherever your kids are in ministry, children's ministry, five, six, junior high, senior high, one of the best gifts that you could do. And I'm not only talking to parents, any of you, best gift that you could do is phone up that ministry leader, that pastor and say, Can I just talk to you about how I might be able to serve? It's one of the best gifts that you could do. One of the best. Wherever you see a need, serve. You might be coming into one of our campus locations, maybe here at Central Campus, and there's no one on the door, you know, greeting you, saying hi, smiling, saying hi. There's a need, serve. Hopefully, later than sooner, you might be coming here, and you're walking along the sidewalk, and you know that's not shoveled yet. There's a need. Serve. You might be walking around this place see an overflowing garbage can. There's a need. Serve. Wrap it up. Talk to someone. Take it to our connect area. I've got some garbage for you. (laughs) You know, just serve wherever you see a need. Serve. Wherever you see a need, serve. Maybe you're on our website. You visit the volunteer page. Serve. Honestly, there's no guilt in this. Anyway, because serving is who we are. It's who we are. It's not just what we do. It's who we are. Ask God to help you see the needs around you and ask God, is this an assignment from you? Is this an assignment from you? The way to grow in being meek is to serve. Serving is the way of the meek and the humble. Serving is the way of Jesus. It's the way of Jesus. Serving is our way. It's our way. And you see, when we stop serving, when we stop being a servant, when we stop seeing the needs around us in our home, in our neighborhood, places of work, here at the church, when we stop seeing the needs, when we become indifferent to the needs, we walk by something, someone will get to that. Someone else should do that. I don't have time for that. Someone else can do that. We become indifferent to the needs when we we start saying, I'm not going to do that. There's no way I'm going to do that. Not in a million years am I going to do that. When we stop serving and we think, why doesn't someone do something about that? When we stop serving, we start saying these things, when we stop acting, behaving this way, we are at a dangerous place, church. We're really at a dangerous place. We're in a dangerous place because we're in danger of having proud hearts. Proud hearts. We really are in danger of having proud hearts. When the way of Jesus, what Jesus has invited us into, is being the kinds of people that get up, get low, and wash dirty feet and wash dirty feet. I want to end our time this with a moment of prayer. Would you bow your head with me? I'd love for us to spend a few moments just in quiet reflection, asking God to speak to us, to you, around two things. Just ask, God, are you saying anything to me about my identity? Are you saying anything to me about my identity? And are you saying anything to me about serving? We'll spend a few moments in prayer, just allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us. See if he has something he wants to say to us in these moments of quietness here. Jesus, we are truly <clears throat> truly in awe of how you conducted yourself in that room on that Thursday night. You were extraordinary. And how you served. None of us likely would have chosen or wanted to do what you did, but you you served. And you even served the ones who would betray you. You served those who would sin against you. You served. You give us an incredible image of what it looks like to be meek in this world. And it's something that we can't accomplish on our own, so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you invade our hearts and our minds and give us strength to bring ourselves low to serve others. Thank you for this invitation to serve, to make a difference, Thank you for how you're inviting us to serve in our homes, and our places of work, just all over the place. Thank you for your grace that's sufficient for us when we don't, when we don't say yes, when we should. Thank you for your spiritual gifts that you've placed in us to make a difference and serve others. Thank you for how you've gifted us and loved us and, and how you care for us. And so help us. Help us as we walk in this world to be humble, to be meek. Help us to take the time, not for our sake either, Jesus, but help us to point people to you, to you who can make such a difference in their lives. Thank you for what you've done for us, Jesus. We we wanna follow you, give us courage and boldness to do what you're asking us to do now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.